During the healthcare crisis, when I called Steve Downey in his prior job, 22% of medical device was GS1 compliant. There is no leadership when that happens, right? So our next speaker is Steve. And I met Steve many years ago, like I've met many of you many years ago, but that will say that I'm really old, and that's true, but we won't go there. But Steve is currently the chief supply chain officer and patient support officer, I love patient support officer, at the Cleveland Clinic. And I asked Steve to come and talk about supply chain 2030 in healthcare, because it's my hope that we can move from efficient sickness to effective wellness. Please welcome Steve to the stage. Thank you, everybody. I met Laura when I was in my manufacturing days. I ran supply chain for a med device manufacturer. And healthcare tends to be insulated. You talk to other med device manufacturers, you learn what they were doing, everybody wanted to do the same thing. I turned to Laura and said, what else could we do? She broadened me to, A, a new vocabulary. If anybody's had a conversation with Laura, <laughs> there's a new vocabulary. So then when I came to the Cleveland Clinic about a year ago, same thing. Said, Laura, where are we heading? Where could we be better? What is everybody else doing? And the ideas just keep flowing. So thank you for the chance to talk to you. I want to make this interactive. I'm going to share a little bit about where we think healthcare is going and then a little bit about where supply chain and operations are going as part of it. So the Cleveland Clinic did a survey with thought leaders about how will care be different in 100 years. It was a celebration of our 100-year anniversary. Asked a bunch of top thought leaders from all over the industry where we'll be. It's pretty exciting. It's also pretty scary. It's pretty incredible to think. So I have seven of these. I'll let you read the quote. We're going to talk about what they mean a little bit. Like for this one, talks about moving from chronic care to care at home. What happens when you need care at home? Well, you have to get things there, right? We know the last mile is the hardest. It's the hardest in supply chain. Now imagine what that's like trying to do that for healthcare. Try to provide technical support to somebody who's trying to use a medical device at home. If anybody's tried to help an elderly parent with email, imagine. How about chain of custody? We're looking at a program uh, to use drones. Fly drones to get your uh, product to your house as fast as it possibly could. How do I know it's you? Well, you could maybe use a phone to authenticate digitally. Now I'm assuming you know how to use your phone. Open the app have the app all set up with the right technology that can then interface with the drone. So now I need somebody to install that and use that. It gets really complicated, right? You need to make this as user-friendly as possible for people who really need the care. How about using the product, whatever I gave you, like a lab test? We're talking about lab tests at home. In fact, our lab is talking about how to send blood sampling devices to your house. So instead of you having to go to the lab, we can go to you but I have to teach you how to use this properly. Make sure you use it, get the right valid sample. Otherwise, it was just a waste of time to get a bad result. How about cybersecurity? We get thousands of cyber attacks every day. 
what's going to happen when I take wearable devices, lab tests, and send them to your house? Well, now I just opened our cybernet even broader, right? So there's another portal that all you have to do is hack into that, and that becomes a portal in. How about connectivity? Today, we can connect to your medical record. Now I have to connect your home into our medical record. How are you going to do that? How am I going to do that? Imagine all those challenges. And that's just care at home. We are already working on lab at home, drones, interfaces, wearables. All those things are kind of a given. But you talk about challenges. How do we solve all those? So let's talk about social determinant of health. Care matters where you're from. Today, it's diagnose, treat, right? You have a gallbladder problem, you get your gallbladder treated. But what caused it? Was it something to do with your environment? Something where you grew up? Something in your DNA? Maybe in your diet? The environment can influence DNA mutations. We know that. So what should we do about your environment to make you healthier? How do I operationally influence that? What if I could get you food? What if I said, you have surgery next week, I want you to make sure you eat healthy? Well, you might be focused on your surgery and you'll eat healthy. What if I could give you the meals to eat that week? Now you're probably really gonna be compliant, right? What if I sent you home with, with meals and I said every day somebody's gonna come to your house and gonna bring three meals and you eat those, End of the day, I'm gonna have three more show up the next day. You'll probably be way more compliant. I, we're working on programs for food deserts. A lot of health systems are working at how to get the nutrition programs you have in health systems out into the communities where those food deserts exist because that influences your health. How about educational programs? Just teaching folks about health. Cleveland, Cleveland Clinic's home, has one of the largest problems with lead poisoning in the water. Thousands of kids are impacted every year by lead poisoning in the US, in a city like Cleveland. So we just committed $30 million to help fix it, but that's just one city and one place with, who would have thought that we still have problems like that in today's world, but we do. We're also working on programs for virtual training. Is there a way to take, let's say an 18 wheeler into a community and bring virtual headsets in to train you about health. Any of these programs where you make education fun, you bring nutritional training, you build care to the community, is gonna help your care. All right, telemedicine. Anybody wanna guess what percent of healthcare visits during COVID became telemedicine visits? Any guess? Anywhere a number from zero to 100%? 70? You are really close, 75%. It went from 1%, it actually existed, very few people knew it, and it was very difficult to do, to 75% of healthcare visits during COVID were virtual. It's back down to 11% now. That was as of yesterday. That's still impressive. It's not probably as high as it's gonna go. We're gonna do more, but everybody got used to it, right? How are we gonna tie operations and supply chain to telemedicine? 
anybody who had a telemedicine visit was probably great. You saw the doctor, you had your care diagnosis, and they said you need a antibiotic, and then you said great, and then you hung up and had to drive to CVS. Like, what is that, <laughs> right? How do we tie the fact that when you say you need something, I can actually readjust my operations to get it to you? I have to connect my telemedicine systems to my warehousing, to my transportation, to that last mile, right? I have retail pharmacies. We have them in the communities. How about AI? We talk about it on here. Clinicians have to look at you, listen to you, touch you, you know, is this tender, does this hurt when I poke you, analyze your tests, read up on the latest things that are happening, and there's thousands of journals, new articles every day, and then translate all that into a way to care for you. And then they don't get it right every time and you're really upset. So what if you could take all of those visual clues and tactile clues and keywords and data and put that together in a knowledge base? Folks are working on that. In fact, the big HR, e EHRs are doing that. Take all the data that's collected, put it into AI engines, and turn that back around as a suggestion. I don't think it'll replace the clinician. I don't think it'll ever replace the clinician. I don't think you'll miss that human interaction. You walked up to a robot and said, tell me what's wrong, and the robot said, here's what's wrong, you would just discount that. But if the physician could turn to their tablet and she could say, okay, here's all the outputs and it suggests this, let me ask a couple extra questions, and the diagnosis is gonna be much better, talk about enhanced care, right? How are we gonna get our clinicians trained in all of that AI input? How am I gonna get my supply chain to, to work that way? We're already working on customized medicine, customized vaccines. In fact, in the innovation corridor in Cleveland, working on a GMP manufacturing for custom medicines. Analyze your DNA, figure out what was wrong, have a treatment for you, probably 10 years from that before it's released, but it takes about that long to get it going. But you'll show up and I have to operationally take your reading into something I can manufacture and hand it to you before you leave and do it quickly enough. And I have to be able to do that with all of this knowledge and electronics around me. So take that AI further. How about modeling and twins? What about a digital twin for my supply chain? I have 2,200 different dispensing rooms around our 19 hospitals. Every hospital has a warehouse. I have physician locations, ASCs. I have 250,000 items. A digital twin would be incredible. What about for an operation? I have building systems that control all the temperatures. I have patient uh, airflow. The ORs have to have positive or negative pressure. The different labs have to have different pressure systems, temperatures. I have very complex building automation systems. Put my supply chain, my buildings, the patient flow, nurse schedules, patient schedules, start times, all into a digital twin and then model it for me and tell me what are my constraints, right? What happens if I increased my flow or built a new building or did this? Heavy data, heavy customization. A big part of healthcare supply chain is understanding what's coming next from devices, right? You have incredible new technologies coming, the hello robot. How is my sourcing team supposed to know that that's the right robot? 
Do we listen to the clinician? Sometimes that clinician was influenced by a salesperson. Maybe they were influenced at a conference. My sourcing team is supposed to be the expert, right? We're supposed to be able to say, these are the right technologies and partner with the clinicians to figure that out. So now I need sourcing people who can do advanced technologies and know the advanced care. I need somebody who's an expert in heart systems or robot systems. And then I need to keep them engaged and not going to Mayo Clinic or somebody else in Massachusetts. But I need people who can interface with those suppliers, ask the right questions, understand the landscape, say this one is the best answer for us for the next five years, and yet always keep that current. That also requires innovative supplier partnerships. I need those suppliers partnered with us. We all the time have suppliers say, I want to come in and put the most innovative robot with you. Great. So does that one, and so does that one, and so does that one. Who am I going to choose, right? I can't have our physicians learn on 17 different systems. I've got to pick one. User-centered data. I love this quote. This was my favorite one of the bunch. Can you imagine that you got a little beep on your watch that said, you're done, just take a break? <laughs> Sometimes we all feel that way. But what if you had this device... What if it became part of your life? We're heading that way, right? Everybody has wearables now. You monitor your heart. Some people monitor their blood sugars. How are you gonna get spare parts for any of that? You gonna get your watch fixed? What if your physician says, I want you to always wear that because I'm worried about your heart. You're like, ah, my battery's dead. How am I as the operations guy gonna fix it for you? Does it mean that your device could tell me when it needs fixing? If I'm gonna put in a home EKG system or a home blood pressure, and then the system says, it's probably gonna have a battery problem two weeks from now. Great, I can get a service tech over there. If I have enough lead time, I'd be great. More connected, more to do, harder to do, more at risk. Think about the streams of data that are gonna come from that. How am I gonna manage all of that data? I gotta tie it to you. I gotta make sure it's clean data. Then I gotta, as I said, handle your food, handle the security, handle the service. What about the workers in your supply chain? Could they have one of these? That said, maybe you have a step monitor on and they say, well, we know normal worker fatigues at 8,000 steps or whatever it is. And on the job that John's on, he's gonna hit that in the next hour. So to avoid that, I'm gonna redirect him before he gets there. So let's give them a task that maybe lowers the step count, gives them a break, and I can move them to a packing station. I can maximize worker productivity with wearable device. I have miles and miles, if anybody's ever been to the main campus, it's like three miles from side to side. And I have folks who have to carry supplies from one side of that to the other. We have robots that help with parts of it. I would love a device that would say, give that person a break. They've done seven trips today, that's enough. Big data, individualized medicine. We can read that you have a gene that there will be a problem with something when you turn X years old. How trusting are you though to hand that over to somebody and say, go ahead, fix it for me ahead of time? That's a little scary, right? When you're 58 years old, you're called in to my GMP manufacturing facility, we're like, just sit tight. We're gonna adjust your genes to make sure you don't get what we said you're gonna get at 60. We're probably getting close to that, but would you trust that? Talk about change management. I'm not sure I would.
But think about the speed of change I have to deal with at individualized medicine. How agile you have to be. For every person who shows up, I have to adjust care for them. So, as I said, you're probably pretty excited and you're probably a little scared. <laughs> so that stuff's pretty exciting. So let's talk a little bit about what we're working on now for 2030 that will get us to 2121. Workforce optimization is a big one. Everybody who's read the news knows we have clinician shortages. Getting the right people to care for the patients at the right time, to the right place. We are hard at work in labor optimization. What can we automate? What can we take off clinicians' hands and give to operational folks? What can operational folks take off their hands and give to something automated? A lot of health systems have dabbled in RPA now. There's a lot of use for it. We have um, AGVs that are moving material around. We have pilot programs in uh, blockchain, smart contracts. We have robotics and surgery. We have robotic people lift, um, bed lifters, take you off your bed and help you get out. We have some health systems have pilot programs that are using AI NLP to answer caregiver questions. So if you're a clinician and you just have a question or your patient, you have a question. Some health systems are doing that for, um, for concierge programs. You have a question when you're in the bed you're like, I wish I could change my food order, or I need help with my technology. You can hit a button and a virtual assistant pops up. Some health systems are doing that now. So we are working on how do you maximize all that? How do you, today, just to pick the cases for a surgery, it's five, about 65 items go onto a cart. How much of that is the clinician actually having to do versus the supply chain folks already pre-prescribed? You'd be amazed how much of that is still clinicians. You'd also be amazed at with today's worker shortages, how many of those nurses are traveling nurses who are trying to follow an old uh, recipe card or preference card, so they're opening everything you can find. Is that the most efficient? Not always. So the end goal for me is working at the top of their license. Now what else? Trust. I think if you said what's the biggest problem healthcare supply chain has today, it's trust. The players in the healthcare supply chain don't trust each other. Suppliers, health systems, distributors, GPOs don't all work on a common platform. They're, it started with a commercial model and you were trying to maximize the dollar you could get and that didn't lead to trust. Today, a supplier does not see what's on the shelf for me to do surgery tomorrow and I could run out. When I was on the manufacturing side, 80% of what I shipped every day was for surgery the next morning. That is way too much trust in all of that transportation to actually get it there. Worry me every day. I get really good at it, but why, right? Why don't I have weeks where I can just tell you here's the schedule? Oh, but then, you know, the rep's gonna steal somebody else's cases, or they're gonna make sure I don't have the right product, or they're gonna overcharge me. It's all trust. Laura helped us with a program to get into supply networks. Why don't we put everybody on a common data platform? Just show each other demand. Show me your inventory and then I can know how, mad, how low you are. And frankly, I wanna know my supplier's inventory and how much they have so I can worry about if there's a problem there. Show me where something's made. 
Yeah, the national shortage of contrast agent. Anybody hear that one? A some 70 plus percent of the U.S. supply of contrast agent was made in one plant in Shanghai. Nobody knew it until another wave of COVID came through and closed Shanghai. What happened when folks then needed care for stroke? Some people got down to two days of inventory. Imagine that. Now we were lucky we got down to about 30 days, but it took a lot of planning to get to that. If I had known where it was made, we had all trusted each other. They could show me inventory. I they'd see the plant. I could show them inventory. We could talk about how much inventory and what our common demand is. All solved with trust. There's a lot of effort on resiliency solutions in the market. Understanding how we're going to solve that, monitoring world events, ensuring you have uh, the right balance of sole source, dual source, offshore, onshore. It's a big focus for health systems today. So if you take what I just said and put that into kind of some keywords, there's a whole lot of technology solving there. We talked about change management. Healthcare is one of the most risk averse places in the world. Healthcare supply chain is not an easy task. Now, there's a reason for that. When I was on manufacturing side, we did a whole study on this. Risk, when you have a patient's brain open on the table next to you, you don't wanna worry. You need to know that when I turn for something, it is there, it's gonna work like you trained. That patient's gonna survive because of what I'm doing. I cannot have a supply chain where you go to turn for something and they're like, oops, we don't have it. Sorry, right? So I'm gonna make sure it gets there. But the ways I can make sure it gets there, there's a lot of variability in that, yeah. So with that, I got six minutes. So why don't we do questions? Right over there. Steve, quite a fascinating talk. Uh, two questions, one to do with supply chain, one not two. Let me start with the supply chain one. In terms of multi-sourcing options, you talked about the regulatory nature of the industry and all that. How has that changed in the last two years? Is there more openness now? And is it going to be something that will be forgotten <laughs> a year or two down the road, right? The second question is... I would say this is an interesting time to be in healthcare. Most U.S. hospitals are on the edge of failure right now. And that's not a very common news article. You heard a lot about in the pandemic what was happening to healthcare workers and... Um, how everybody was struggling to get staff and COVID. What has happened is the patient volumes are down and costs because of the lack of clinicians and the increase in traveling nurse costs four times salaries. So what it's done is taken an industry that had a couple of percent margin and turned them negative. We just released our numbers. We lost a billion dollars so far this year, the Cleveland Clinic. That's right. So people are not, beds are empty? There is empty beds. And or we can't open them because we don't have staff. Okay. Lack of clinicians. Yep. So what's the answer? So where are they going to turn? Cost, right? Because as you get to that stage and you, we're losing a billion dollars, what does everybody say? Well, get me clinicians who can work and cut costs, right? <laughs> So as I cut costs and then I say, no, but I'm going to drive my supply costs up because I need sole source and onshore, those two aren't going to go together, right? But, but the margins of health of a hospital are 6 to 8%. The margins of 
pharmaceuticals is 22%. The margins of medical device is 20%. The cost of healthcare is way too high, right? How do we fix it? Hopefully, somebody in the room has the answer. <laughs> no, well, but hopefully, some of what we're talking about here will help. Yeah. Right? But do I think we will get to an answer that is all one or all the other? No. We are getting much smarter about it, and that's because, like, if I understood that my only supply source was all in Shanghai, I would dual source it. I'm okay with having a source from there, but I would dual source it. I'm okay single sourcing something where the, where the risk is a lot lower. And, but then I know that up front, I can answer that question in the sourcing process, right? I can say I need a, something that's close to that cost and I'm willing to take a slightly higher. So, yeah, but you don't know, right? I remember I was in Puerto Rico and the government IV was pushing foods. that, you know, we needed to move all pharmaceuticals to Puerto Rico and we'd never have a hurricane there, right? <laughs> and I remember working with, you know, a lot of your hospitals that said, well, we didn't know that we had all these pharmaceuticals sourced in Puerto Rico, right? 80% of the world's um, IV fluids came from Puerto Rico. Right. And well, it was a wake-up call, right? I mean, it's... And now you look at my warehouse, it's full of IV fluids. Right. Because so we, we don't want to ever have that problem again. So that was one of your questions. What was the other one? The second one is around... Uh, Personalized medicine and uh, connected devices, the whole notion of HIPAA and patient privacy takes a whole new dimension. So how are you preparing for that world? Sure. Yeah, so today you can take your wearable and we can connect it into your health record. So it's your information and connected to your health record. There is a lot of practice around making sure we do that properly. Now, how will that happen? in the market, I think the health systems will solve that properly. How will the market solve it? Like you'll get an app that'll say, connect in this and you know, show us your heart data. And is that being HIPAA protected? That's a really good question. So yeah. just be careful what you do with your wearable data. Okay, let's take the mic away from Madoff. Thank you, Madoff. <laughs> Someone else, Bill, you've got a question. Yeah, thanks, Steve. That was very insightful. This will be a bit jaundiced because my wife heads litigation for Northwestern Medical. And she's awesome. malpractice defense. She's on awesome. your side. Just okay. yeah. <laughs> but she often comes down to debating standard of care. So when, when we try to, say, promulgate AI methods for demand planning, but nobody understands how they work, I think of that like a standard of care issue right. in demand planning. Like how the CEO says, why is this value in Q4 this number? Are you seeing that using AI for diagnostics and probably even more important for treatment recommendation, that, that standard of care is going to be a limitation to the speed at which that gets probably uh, developed? And probably, and there's so many parties involved in it, right? Insurance carriers and patients and reimbursement and the government and everything else that it is not, healthcare is not known for being the fastest adopter of those things. Uh, but it's there, people are looking at it already. Yeah. So I think, as I said, there will always be the clinician, and I think having tools that supplement the clinician will come sooner, right? EHRs, for example. Um, the data that the EHR can analyze and present back to you when that patient shows up and they say, okay, I just need some insight here, and it's still the physician, still standard of care, but they're getting better insight, that's a great step to get there. Right? And then eventually you'll become more and more trusted. 
Okay, we've got to keep the program on time because we've got people all around the world that are watching. Now, Steve, you'll be with us through today. Through today. Right? So if people have questions at break, you know what Steve looks like. Don't be bashful. You're not a bashful group. I'll see you back in 30 minutes. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, everyone.